The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. And now we're going to go to God's Word uh, as we continue in our, summer, in our summer series going through the Old Testament, speaking of Jesus, learning how uh, the Old Testament speaks of Christ and proclaims of Christ and prepares us for the coming Christ. And we're going to read in Genesis chapter 27 today. And before we do that, I want to make available to you just a great opportunity that's coming up in, in, in August. Uh, not only are we a gospel-centered church, which means that we, um, we love talking about uh, the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come and died for us. He's our substitute, and that's our hope in this world and, and uh, hope for forgiveness and relationship with, with God. But also, we're, we're an outward-focused church. We want, to, we want to be moved forward into acts of mercy, compassion, and justice in our community, and in our world. And so that means that we will find ways to listen to the needs of our community and be responsible in reaching those needs however we can. And one of the great things that's near and dear to the heart of God the Father, we believe, is, is the fatherless, those who are in uh, orphan or um, foster care. And there's an organization here in town, a local organization that's a nonprofit called More Than a Bed. And we've partnered with them to provide uh, free um, resources to parents who are adoptive parents or foster parents. It's like a free yard sale. They get, to go to, uh, they get to go to this place and just get whatever they need, everything from mattresses to cribs to baby clothes to diapers, uh, you name it. And if you're a parent, you know how many things you actually need to care well for, uh, for babies and even growing children. And so August 7th and August 14th, we're gonna, those, both of those Sundays, we are going to collect, be collecting resources, new and slightly used items to donate to more than a bed. So you can put them in the corner here in the welcome area. We'll have a, a sign there that designates that area. You can bring it in, put it in that corner before you come to the service, or bring it in after the service from your car, and then everything is going to be donated to them to help minister to parents in our community that are foster parents and adoptive parents. So really great opportunity. Uh, they are going to use those items for their yard sale, their free yard sale, um, which is called um, uh, Giving Without Measure. They do a couple of those in the summer. August 20th is their next event. Another way to help is if you can actually help and volunteer at that event to help set the tables up and to help um, as parents come in and need items. If you want more information, uh, Bill Von Otterloo is going to be the contact person for that. You can get his phone number uh, online. Just go to our, our webpage and see the um, More Than a Bed advertisement and click on that. Uh, so we hope that you'll take advantage of that. It's a really great thing. We're excited about it. hope to bless so many people through that. So let's now go to Genesis chapter 27. And we're going to take a look at another Old Testament character. Today we look at the life of Jacob. In Genesis 27, I'll start reading in, in verse 18. So he, Jacob, went to his father Isaac and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, feel you my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. 
And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near, bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate it. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I've blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So again, we look at this character Jacob in the Old Testament. A couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at the blessing of Abraham that came to Abraham and this promise to bless Abraham. And through the son of Abraham, all nations would be blessed. And, be, and this was fulfilled in Jesus, that all who believe in God, as Abraham believed in God by faith, would be, would be blessed. And we have seen that throughout the Old Testament, God will bless people by following a seed line. He'll bless a, a person in a family, and that blessing will follow down through this thread, through this seed line, through the families of earth, and it will follow a single figure and pass down through that one person and not others. And this, this one person will be the focal point of God's blessing to the whole world, to save his people. From Adam to his son, and eventually to Noah, and then we trace Noah's uh, seed line and descendants to Abraham, and then Abraham's son, Isaac. And now Isaac's son, or Isaac's uh, wife, Rebecca, becomes pregnant, and she's pregnant with t- twins, if you recall this story. And even in the womb, the Lord says, these twins uh, inside of you, these two sons, are, are two nations. And they are at, uh, at, at enmity with one another. They, they're divided. They're fighting. And my blessing is going to follow one of those sons and not the other. It's going to follow one seed and, and not the other. The younger, well, actually, it, it'll follow. The second one out of the womb will be blessed. And the older will actually serve the younger. So Esau was the first one out. Esau was the oldest of the twins. And he was red, and it said that his, his body was like a hairy coat, like a goat. And he was really ruddy, you know. 
Uh, this is how our daughter Kate came out this way. Uh, she, <laughs> she's so beautiful. Uh, the hair fell off, but you know she came out a little red, a little, a little hairy. And then comes the, 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 second, the second twin, Jacob. He's, he's grabbing the heel of his brother. And he's smooth and he's pretty. Uh, and they call him Jacob. And Jacob in Hebrew means the heel grabber. Uh, and more specifically, it means the cheater. This is his name. It means the cheater. And for some reason, from, from the year 2000 to 2012, Jacob was the most popular number one name in, in the U.S. I don't know why. This is like, do you know what this means? Uh, the most popular name. And so, so Esau becomes this ruddy, you know, dude's dude, man's man, working in the fields, shooting, shooting game and, and, and cooking stew, you know, hearty, meaty stew from the animals that he has killed. And Jacob's quiet. He's, he's gentle. He's mama's boy, right? Isaac loved Esau. The father loved Esau. And, and, Re- and Rebekah loved Jacob. Just imagine this family portrait for a second. If you've seen this picture, picture in your mind just how dysfunctional of a picture, how a picture can tell a, tell a thousand stories, right? If you could see this portrait of these four people standing there, you'd see Isaac the father with his son Esau next to him, probably in like a, you know, a headlock, you know, maybe giving him a noogie, and, 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 and Esau is holding a bow or an axe, and he's dirty, his clothes are tattered, and they're just like hanging out and and then you see Jacob with Rebecca, and, and, and Rebecca is sitting down, and Jacob is perched on her lap, and, and his head is tilted towards her chest in this warm embrace. And, and you see how dysfunctional this picture is, how Isaac loved his son Esau, and Jacob was loved by his mom. And, and Isaac is on his deathbed, and he can't see very well, and he's ready to give his blessing to his son, the oldest son. Because in this society, in this firstborn society, the firstborn was blessed. He had the blessing. He received materially, he received uh, more than double than any of the other siblings in the family. This material blessing would be his. But not only that, there was this immaterial blessing. There was this favor that he received from his father. This love, this affection, this acceptance, this priority that was given to Esau. And Isaac, uh, Jacob, the cheater he comes up with this scheme that's really prodded by his mother to cheat his brother Esau out of the blessing that was rightfully Esau's. And he covers his arms and his neck with goat skin. It, it kind of tells you how hairy Esau really was. So that when his father, who is dying and blind, draws his son near, would smell him and feel him, he would see that this is his son Esau. And Jacob's plot is a, is a success. It actually works, as we read. He cheats his brother out of the blessing and out of his inheritance, which would be twice as much of, of his property and inheritance than any sibling. And he cheated him out of this affection. He seeks the, more than, more than this material blessing, Jacob really seeks his father's affection, his praise. His, he longs for the love of his dad. Have you ever had something stolen from you? Have you ever had something that was rightfully yours taken from you? Do you know what that's like? Have you ever had your house broken into and something stolen? Have you ever had that happen? There, there are a few things, I think, in life that can stir such anger and emotion of betrayal uh, than something that is yours being taken from you wrongfully. But theft is not only about material things. It could be immaterial things as well, as we've seen, like recognition or praise. 
someone taking recognition or praise that you desired, or just unspoken knowing that someone doesn't love you as much as they love somebody else. You just know, you don't have to, it doesn't, no one has to tell you, but you just know that someone looks at you and feels about you in a different way. Have you ever had someone rob you of things like that? I was eight, nine years old maybe, and I was on a soccer team. And I wasn't a very confident athlete. I, I was mostly played defense, I mostly stayed in the backfield. Uh, mostly the ball came to me, I would just, I'd be so nervous, and then, and then I'd kick it just away from me and let somebody else take care of it. That, that's the kind of soccer player I was. I was afraid of putting myself out there in the fear, fear of failing. And so I just kicked it away, but not this time. Not this one game, I remember so clearly. I remember the day well, it was a, a really rainy and cold day in central Ohio. Muddy, the ground was just super muddy. It was impossible to move the ball forward down the field. The ball comes to me about midfield. I start dribbling. And to my surprise, I'm doing pretty good. And, and I dribble, and I juke, right? And I fake, and I cut, and I kick, and I score. And I score my first goal, probably, than I've ever scored. And what was going on, it was so clustered. All the kids were just like, you know, like a beehive, just going one place to another. The rain was coming down. You couldn't really see what was going on. And as I score, all the kids run to another teammate and start praising him and celebrating and say, yay, you did it. And the coach runs onto the field and lifts up this boy into his arms and says, great job. And I go to the coach. I say, I scored. He says, that's great. Now get back out there. He didn't believe that it was actually me. (laughs) That'll ruin a kid. That'll ruin a kid. Yeah. A kid will never forget an event like that. And this kid, even more so, was taking all the credit. He was not, he was not, he was not telling anybody, no, you got it all wrong, it wasn't me, I didn't do it. He knew he didn't do it, Tommy. He knew he didn't do it. <laughs> I don't know his name. He didn't correct anyone, he took it, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll never let him get away with it. But he's been wanting to be my friend on Facebook for years now, and, and I'm just not going <laughs> to... <laughs> no. Well, listen, as we look at these brothers, we look at this story, we are meant to be a little sympathetic for Jacob and sympathetic for Jacob. I mean, he, he, he longed for the love of his dad. He lo- longed for the recognition that Esau got. And he, sp- and, we sp- and he spends years watching his brother get the love of his father that he never had. I mean, we're meant to read this story and we're meant to feel, man, that, that must be tough. To be the, the brother that just never has your dad's heart. But yet, we're meant to be a little angry with Jacob. We're meant to really not like him either, uh, you know, much at all. No one likes a person like Jacob. He cheats his way to a life of abundance. He cheats his way into the favor of others. He cheats his way to blessing. And there's, no, there's almost nothing endearing about Jacob. If you look through these chapters, uh, these several chapters that talk about the life of Jacob and his narrative, really nothing causes you to say, I want to be like Jacob. No one wants to be like him. And you look at Esau, and although he's a little rough around the edges, he's much more enjoyable. This is the guy you want at your party. He's likable. He's fun. There's never a dull moment with Esau. He can do really cool tricks. He's, he's just he's talented, uh, ruddy, hardworking. And I want, I want to draw out of this story a couple implications for us as we look, look at this story of redemption, look at, God's, look at this narrative in the life of a, of a seed line of God's blessing, And look at a couple implications. Just two. One, like Jacob, we find great comfort in our own ability to control our blessings. And I'm going to show you and prove to you how we do that a lot. Any psychologist or uh, psychologist 
will tell you that this is the picture of every human being. We all desire and need for this kind of longing to be blessed, to have love, to have favor from those who are outside of us. It comes from the outside. Professionally, we want someone to recognize our achievements in our workplace, and we want to earn favor. That favor can come monetarily. It could come through a raise. But the blessing that's actually probably closer to our heart is just the favor of recognition, of praise, of adoration. Even if it doesn't mean more money, it'll keep us in that job if we know that our work is valuable to others. And when someone says, I just wanted you to know that you're doing great, that can go a long way. We desire it relationally. We desire someone to express deep desire for our companionship, for people to feel and act and say, I really want to be around you. I love you. You're important to me. And do you realize we will go to great lengths relationally to get people to like us? We'll dress a certain way. We'll compromise our our convictions about certain things to get people to love us and to reciprocate a certain kind of affection. If you've ever longed to hear the words of encouragement and affirmation and approval from your mom or dad and have spent years trying to get it and never got it, you know how Jacob felt. If you've ever compromised your own personal convictions to get someone to love you, if you've ever crossed the line in different ways with somebody because you want to be their friend, you know what it's like to be like Jacob. And instead of trusting in God to fill that void, Jacob takes things into his own hands. And we can do that too. You see, God will later show Jacob that he cannot cheat his way to his blessings. But listen to this. We're all like Jacob because we're all cheaters. We all, in different ways, cheat our way, attempt to control our blessings, and cheat our way to God's blessings. Whenever we attempt to cheat our way to God's blessing, we're, we're acting like Jacob. How does one do this? How does, this, how does someone cheat their way to, to God's blessings? By grasping, by controlling, by trusting more in our self-sufficiency than in God's sufficiency for us. In other, ways, in other words, we hide who we really are, just like Jacob did. A couple ways we do this is through pretending and performing. We pretend. We pretend that our faults are not that bad. We minimize the weight of our sins by comparing them to the faults of others. And we say things like, well, I am not as bad as so-and-so. Or I don't do those sorts of things. So we pretend that God's blessings will come to us because we're not as bad as really bad people. We're trying really hard. We're doing a good job. Or we perform. We dress up like a really good Christian. We put on those really good Christian clothes, the Christian smile. And I'm talking figuratively. We, we, we come to church and we give and we let people know how often we read the Bible. We stay on board with our yearly Bible reading. We check all the boxes of what it looks like to be a Christian. We say, look at all the good things I've done for God. So we dress up. We put on these good clothes. Consider why you seek to obey God for a minute. Just think about why do you want to obey God and be a good person and be a good Christian? Why do you do things for other people and go out of your way to sacrifice for other people? If you say, because I want them to like me, or I want them to not be upset, or I just want to keep peace in my life, then you're not doing those things for them. You're doing those things for yourself. And like Jacob, you are attempting to control your own blessing your own life, your own comfort. And so when we rely on our own ability to control blessing, we'll find, it, we'll find it impossible to truly trust in God's blessings. 
and we'll have a hard time blessing others in a way that is right. We only use people. We, we manipulate them. We treat people as a, as a means to an end. This is what Jacob is doing with, with his father and even with his brother. He is using his dad and his brother as a means to an end to get the blessing that he truly desires. So he grasps at it. He controls it. He manipulates it. He takes it into his own hands instead of trusting in God. Here's a story that I found really helpful in understanding this. The great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon illustrates it in this way. He tells this story. There was a humble gardener who presents a bunch of carrots to his king because he so esteems and loves his king. And the king rewards this kind of love with a plot of land so that he can continue to bless the kingdom. And a servant of the royal court sees this and thinks, an acre of land for a bunch of carrots? What a deal! So the next day, this servant presents the king with a magnificent horse. The wise king, discerning the heart of his servant, simply accepts the gift and says, Thank you. And when the servant becomes filled with sadness, the king explains, The gardener gave me carrots, but you have given yourself a horse. You gave not of love for me, but of love for yourself and the hope of a reward from me. Are you loving friends or are you loving yourself? Are you loving your children or are you loving yourself? Are you serving God or are you really serving yourself, hoping to receive a reward from God or a reward from other people? And if we're honest, we see that just how needy we really are and just how much like Jacob we really are. We can't let people know who we are and so we dress up like others. We pretend we're someone that we're not. We're so hungry for people to bless us and for God to love us that we, we, we perform. We do things that normally we wouldn't do. We say things that we don't want to say. And you know what? We don't, it doesn't work. It leaves us disappointed. The only way to get this story, I think, is read it like a hundred times. To read the story of Jacob a hundred times. And then instead of, we, we start, we read it, and I think maybe on the 98th time we read it, we say, wow, there's really nothing likable about Jacob, and I'm a lot like him. I cheat my way all the time with God and with others. Esau is cheated out of his inheritance, out of something that was rightfully his, and his, his blessing from his father. And Jacob cheats his way to this blessing, but he can't enjoy it because now Esau wants to kill Jacob. And his, Esau is trying to kill his brother, and so Jacob receives this blessing from his father, but he has to, he has to scram, you know, he has to flee from his land and from his family, and so now he's alone. And so the very thing he desired and cheated his way to, he can't enjoy himself. Think about this now. The family, I told you that the God's blessing is going to follow a seed and, and a, a single family and a single figure in this family. The family from which God is going to bring the promised one, the promised savior of sinners, Jesus Christ, is really messed up. Really bad. But we see God working through this family. We see God's desire to accomplish his plans through this messed up family. And it brings us to the second implication to draw out of this story, and that's this. Like Jacob, we don't just need another chance. We need God's grace. And in spite of, play, of, of Isaac playing favorites, in spite of Rebekah's manipulation to control the situation, in spite of Jacob's cheating and Esau's carelessness, I mean, Esau was so careless, why would you give up your birthright for just a meal? God will accomplish his plan of rescue through all of this, all of these sins. 
So God desires to take Jacob from being an, an insecure cheater to a trusting sinner in, for God's blessing. Take him from a cheater to a truster. And that's where God wants to take each of us. You see in Genesis 28, right after Jacob uh, runs for his life, and he's all alone, it's nighttime, and he, he grabs a rock to lay on as a pillow. And it gives you a picture, too, again, again, how desperate he is, how alone he is, how uncomfortable he is. He takes a rock, and he lays his head on it. And God comes to him in a dream, and he says to, says to him in this dream in, in chapter 28, uh, verse 13, he says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. Have you ever felt that God has a plan for your life, but somehow along the way you've ruined it because of your sin, because of your carelessness, because of your failures, because of your cheating? because of your scheming, because of your disobedience? Have you ever felt that, you know, I know, yes, I believe that God is good. I believe that he is gracious. But I didn't do what he said. And I sinned along the way, and so now I'm going to get the scraps of that blessing. I've ruined the best that God has given to me. If that's you, I want you to see something here. God is coming and blessing the most messed up person in the whole family. God brings his scandalous grace into the lives of people who don't deserve it. No one likes Jacob at the end of chapter 27. No one. But isn't it true that if, if someone were to write a narrative of our story, no one would like us either at the end of that story? If everyone knew everything that there is to know about us, if everyone knew everything that God knows about you and your heart and how you think, and what you have done, the thoughts that go on in your, in your head throughout the day. No one would want to be like you either. What's the moral of the story? When God blesses, he blesses purely through his grace. I remember when I first encountered this idea of God's scandalous grace in college, and I hated it. I didn't want it. I didn't want God's grace because to embrace this kind of grace, as I understood it, which was really God coming to the worst person in the family, I had to admit something. I had to admit that I'm like Jacob. I had to admit that I'm the worst person in the family, which my siblings would agree with. I'd have to admit that the grace of God, listen to this, the grace of God is enemy number one to the thoughts and pursuits of self-sufficiency. The grace of God is enemy number one to the feelings of, I can do this. I can figure this out. I'm not like other people. So I hated it because I loved me. I hated it because I thought that I was doing much better than most people in my life to getting God's blessing. And the grace of God is opposed to earning, and I spent so many years thinking that I deserved God's blessing, that I had earned it, and I wanted to cheat my way to God. 
I wanted to sneak my way into God. And for a long time, I thought that I had him fooled and everyone else fooled. And do you realize that you can't do that? It was painful when I did. You can't cheat your way to God's blessing. You can't pretend your way to salvation. For God knows your heart. He knows everything about you. He knows how you cheat. He knows that when you say good things and biblical things, he knows that in your heart there's still sin. There's still self-righteousness. There's still hate for others. There's still a lack of sacrificial love. The story of Jacob shows us his struggle, and it shows us our struggle, our desires for control, and a grasp at getting the blessings of the firstborn. I want what the firstborn has. I want that favor. I want that love. I want that inheritance. I want it. And I'm going to get it. And I'm going to figure out how. how. To go against a common Christian cliche, I'll say this, that God, in fact, is not a God of second chances. He's not even a God of infinite chances. He is a God of substitution. You see, the God of second chances, or even saying that God's a God of, of infinite chances, is to say that God will allow you to keep trying. He will keep forgiving you a million times until you get it right. That's like saying, jump over the Grand Canyon. Oh, you, mess, you missed it by this much. Keep trying. And God's saying, you know what? I'll give you, I'll give you as many chances as you need to jump over that Grand Canyon. That's what it's like. So it's not God of a million chances. It's not God of a second chance. It's God of, a God of substitution because it's impossible to do what God has actually commanded us to do in Scripture, to jump over the Grand Canyon, to be holy, to be obedient, to be perfect. The gospel portrays a God of substitution, that someone who gets it right for us and, and is going to take that reward of getting it right and being righteous is applied to us when we stop grasping for it and we start trusting in it. The Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation in Colossians 1, 15 and 19 through 20. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the favored son of God. He is, he has the, he's the heir, the heir of God's promised blessing. And it's his desire to reconcile all things to himself by dying on the cross and shedding his blood. So all who trust in him will have that reward of the firstborn. Jesus lived his entire life his entire existence in a state of firstborn blessing. Jesus was, as he tells us, with God in glory for all of creation past. But he dresses up like us. But he humbles himself and takes the form of a man, of a servant. He puts on those, the goat's skin he takes on our filth. He takes on our sin, our sin and our disobedience. The way of the gospel is that Jesus dressed up like us in order to take our sin so that we can get the firstborn blessing purely by his grace. The way of the gospel is this, is that in a, in a world of constant competition, a constant, in a world of constant uh, fighting for position in our life, we are accepted because of God's pure grace. The gospel says that we're all treated like firstborn children when we stop grasping for God and start trusting in God. Here's a riddle, if you like riddles. I love riddles. You walk into a room, 
and the room is filled with dozens of children. You ask the father of the house and the father of these kids, are they, all these kids yours? And he replies cheerfully, yes, they are. And then you reply, who is the firstborn? And he says, all of them. How is that possible? It's only possible one way. They're all adopted, right? Here we are as a family of firstborns. The righteousness of Jesus applied to us by his grace through faith adopts us into his family. This is what the Bible tells us. Making us a family of firstborns. All receiving the promised blessing accomplished by his grace. Accomplished because of what Jesus did. As the firstborn on the cross. For people like Jacob, for people like you and me. I'll tell you something I've come to know about firstborns as a middle child. So my, my analysis is actually the most important, but no one really pays attention to it. You know what I mean? I always know it's right, but no one ever hears. The firstborn in our family is actually here today, so I need to tread lightly. They tend to be natural leaders. They're structured. They have a high threshold for achievement and accomplishment. They want to be the best at what they do. They, they walk head first into chaos with really no consideration or very small consideration of their own sacrifice or what it will cost them. They run towards danger without calculating what they will lose. They fight for those who are weaker than themselves, knowing that they're in a position of strength as they represent their siblings. They fight for the weaker without much thought to their consequences. Firstborns have a lot of traits like Jesus. And so do middle children. Youngest, I'm not so sure. <laughs> but <laughs> oldest, <laughs> sorry, I see some youngest siblings in here. <laughs> mm, sad. Does Jesus love me? Yes, he does. <laughs> Older, oldest siblings are confident because they have lived their whole life in a position of privilege. They've lived their whole life knowing who they are. Uh, they've, they've been privileged to have all along the favor in their family in, in different ways, materially and even emotionally, position, you know, they get the, they get the best seat in the car uh, as they're growing up, you know, they get the, the first dibs at, at food. Um, and in my family, you know, a family of seven, you, you, you eat quick or you don't eat at all. The firstborn always got, all, got enough food, right? And I was the one, you know, I don't know, plotting my revenge in the corner, I don't know. <laughs> And you know what this allows firstborns to do? It actually allows them, because they know who they are and that they have everything and the favor is theirs, they never doubt it, they're able to bless those who don't have it. They're able to bless with, without consequence. They're able to bless without thinking twice about it because they know they have so much. Like, you know, you need something? Well, I have plenty. I've always had plenty. Here, have some. Without even thinking about what it will cost to them. It allows them to bless without worrying about what is lost. How, how do we get God's blessing Jacob lied to his father. Do you see this? Jacob lied. And what was the lie? He lies when he said, I'm the firstborn. We lie when we say, I'm the firstborn. Yeah, God, I, I, I do good. I, I've lived up to what you have desired me to do. I'm a good Christian. We're lying to God when we say, I am the son that you've always wanted. I'm the daughter you've always dreamed of. Because look at what I've done. We're saying this lie whenever we expect God's blessing to come to us because of who we are. That was Jacob's lie. Bless me because of who I am. And he's lying about who he was. The truth is, Jesus is the firstborn. And if we read these 11 chapters that cover the life of, Jake, the life of Jacob in Genesis, you won't, there, you, won't, you, won't, uh, you won't find anything that makes you think, I want to be like Jacob. And that's the point. 
because we need to get a grip on how God works. The blessing of God comes to us when we stop grasping, comes to us when we, when we stop grasping for his love and blessing and when we start trusting and resting in him. And when we come to know this, there's this real satisfying peace and joy that overwhelms us. Knowing that we have received not just his stuff, but we've received him, that we have him, that we're accepted, that we have all that he desires to give to us in himself, that he's our true treasure. And he's working in us to make us more like Jesus, the firstborn. Jesus himself is the greatest blessing that God could give to us. And because Jesus has been given to us, we truly have everything that we would ever need, that we would ever dream of in this life and in all ways possible Everything, the blessing of God is that he gives us everything that we need for what he intends for us in this life. And this comes to us not by relying on our own ability, but by opening our arms to receive him, to trust him, to rest in him. And God would teach Jacob this lesson. Later on, he would wrestle with Jacob and he would bless Jacob. And he says, what is your, I'm sorry, yeah, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. He says, why do you want to know my name? You see here, even Jacob later on, he's crying out to God. He's saying, why do you even want to know my name? I'm a cheater. I'm I'm nothing. Why do you care about me? He says, what's your name? Jacob. He says, not anymore. Your name's Israel. He changes his name. He gives him a new identity. He blesses him. He says, you're going to be, you, from you, all the nations will be blessed. Your your descendants will be as countless as as the, the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on all the beaches in all the world. And Jacob's thinking, why me? And we're left without an answer. It's implied. Well, it's because not of what you've done, Jacob. It's in spite of what you've done and who you are. It's because of God's love for you. And when we know that we have the firstborn blessing, we can bless others with great sacrifice to ourselves. You can be generous with confidence. You can come to the help of victims of injustice and without, without worry. You know what this world needs more of at this time? Confident firstborns. The church needs to be confident. God's children and disciples and those who fill this room need to act as firstborn children. And what I mean by that is we need to be confident in who we have in Christ, that we have God's blessing and that we can sacrifice, that we could run into chaos without calculating our sacrifices, that we could fight for those weaker than us, that we can fight for, in, for wherever there's injustice, we could bring uh, strength and truth and love and wisdom. You see, the world needs right now firstborns, those who are not silent in chaos, but those who are hopeful and have a high threshold for accomplishing good things. You say, well, that's not me. I, I'm, that's not me. I'm, I'm introverted. And I want to caution you to not use your personality and temperament as introverted as an excuse for cowardice. You realize that those are two different things? Being introvert is a personality. Being cowardly is is a sin. God needs us who are confident in Christ, knowing the blessing that we have. How can you be a blessing this week? How can you be a blessing knowing that you have the blessing of the firstborn? Can you be generous? Can you share what you have? Can you give a word of encouragement? Can you stand up with someone who is being uh, oppressed and beat down? What do you have that you can give to someone else? Well, the truth is we have everything. 
Act like a firstborn. Act like you have nothing to lose. Act like you're your, your dad and mom's favorite, okay? Let's do that this week. Let's pray.